0: To the Emmaus Fellowship Teaching Podcast. We trust you find this encouraging. Emmaus Fellowship is located at 205 North Pine Street in Woodland Park, Colorado. Our phone number is 719 687 6061. We trust you find this encouraging as you pour over God's Word with us. You gave me a voice and a song, it taught me how to sing. Sisters, gave me a family. Well, it's good to be with you. Uh, hopefully you have your Bibles. Would you go with me to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. All right, listen, let's listen to the scripture. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And so what I want to do today is I just kind of want to work with you on this passage. My focus is going to be the idea of what is assurance, what is biblical assurance. So a lot of teaching is on faith. Um, There's not a lot on how do you know, how do you actually have assurance that God is going to do something in your life. And so we want to spend some time on that. First thing I want to do is uh, we just want to start working through the, the words specifically. So we're going to take the word faith here. I'm not going to do the whole treaty on it. I have done, I think about, I don't know, 12 or 13 teachings on just what is biblical faith. All I'm going to do today is contrast what faith is in Scripture. Now, we know the definition of the word actually means confidence in God. But that's the definition. The way it's used, depending on what passage you're looking at in the New Testament, uh, it could be described one of two ways. So the first one is is, uh, faith is... um, A gift. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so, this is an ability to do something or to be able to trust God to do something that you cannot believe Him in yourself to do. And so, in that arena, when it talks about faith, it's a gift that God gives. And when that word is used like that, faith is a gift, we see that salvation is a gift. So, our faith is, uh, again, a gift. And then there's a contrast, and it's in Hebrews chapter 6. And in Hebrews chapter 6, it's teaching what's called the elementary doctrines of Christ. And when it talks about the elementary doctrines of Christ, it says you should know things like what does it mean to not do dead works or baptism or those kind of things. And then it says faith towards God. Now, when it uses that term faith towards God, it's interesting. It says these are doctrines. And so when it talks about faith as a doctrine, it means how you think about something. And so you have to, when it says elementary doctrine of faith is to learn to have faith towards God. What does that mean? God wants you to think a certain way. So that's why he's given us the scripture. He's teaching us to think his thoughts after him. Now, why am I giving you the contrast? Because most people don't see the contrast, so they just assume Faith means the same thing in every passage, and then when they need to get a breakthrough, they're like, why doesn't this work? I'm thinking the right thoughts, but nothing is changing. That's why we're going to look at this passage. Faith. So with that being said, faith is the assurance. Now go with me to Romans chapter 10 if you have your Bibles real quick. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. And I'm going to show you the, the, Greek, the way the Greek is used in the, uh, for this passage based out of Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Now, interesting enough, in Romans 10:17, 17, uh, this isn't talking about like faith for healing or anything. It's saying, how, how literally did you come to salvation? Uh, I, I don't know if you guys ever laugh about this, but when I hear people tell their testimonies to me, they talk about this, this journey they went on to find God. Like I, I isn't God lucky I found him. All right. Well, the Bible kind of gives a contrast to that and says, Well, here's really what happened is you were just kind of you were lost and, and confused, and God called you by name, whether you recognized it or not. And so look with me at Romans chapter ten, verse seventeen. It says this Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. So faith comes. Now, this is very important. I'm not going to, like I said, the whole focus is not on how to teach on faith, but we're laying this down as a foundation. If faith comes, it means you do not possess it. Faith comes to you. So this should, before I get into the rest of this, this should uh, assure you of something. If you get into a situation where you need faith, you should ask God to give it to you. Give me faith here. Now, he ties it to this. He says, faith Faith comes by hearing. Now, that's kind of fascinating. It didn't say faith comes by reading. It didn't say faith comes by the study of Scripture or anything else. It says faith comes by hearing. And then it uses a phrase, the Word of God. Now, this is where the original language helps us. It did not say faith comes from reading the Logos. It says faith comes from Ramas. Now, what is that? What's the distinction in the New Testament of this word? Well, Arama is a word from the Lord, but it's called a living, dynamic word for a situation. So how did you get saved? Uh, you were doing whatever, and God put a thought in your head, hey, why don't you go here, or why don't you consider what Jesus is? Or he said, Jesus is the Savior, and it was a living, dynamic word that was spoken to you. Now, when it's using that concept of faith, look with me back at this passage in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith. Now, this is using that contrast in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So it's, it could be translated this way. Now, faith, which is a rhema word that comes to you, brings assurance. So what is the word for assurance? Now, I'm going to talk about how it's described in the Greek New Testament, but then I'm going to talk about the, the knowledge of it in your own experience. So we have two things we want to work on here. Assurance. Interesting enough, assurance doesn't mean peace. It actually means a settled guarantee of a law being enacted. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? A settled guarantee of a law being enacted. Now, you're, you're like, what? Okay, so now it's saying when God speaks to you, there's a uniqueness to his voice that no other voice can create inside your experience so when god is speaking to you he creates not just the idea that his voice has come to you and there are what we have called the fruits of the voice of god in your life but it also takes it into a legal concept to actually cause this thing called assurance inside of you so why does it need to be tied into a legal concept it's now saying if God's voice comes to you and God says, I'm going to do this in your life, he's not just giving you information from his perspective, he's giving you a guarantee. I'm going to do this. This whole exchange of me talking to you, is ass- that's where you get assurance from is because when God speaks, he speaks as a law giver. And when he gives a law, he cannot violate his nature to not fulfill it. Now, that's the legal side of the word for assurance. What's the experiential side of assurance? When God speaks, it actually settles everything inside the soul, which means the byproduct of it is God's voice creates peace inside of you. Now, what's interesting about that is... As long as you focus on what God has said to you, you you will have peace. The minute you turn from it, you won't. And most people look at it like, well, once he gave me the peace, it should just kind of abide in me, and I just go on and live my life. Now, I'm going to dive into a story with you in my past, and and just kind of be vulnerable, which is always fun, and just share some experiences with us in my own life. Several years ago, I was in Castle Rock doing some weekend meetings, and in I, every service I'm in, I'm always asking the Lord, well, who do you want to heal? What do you want to do? And um, we just started praying for people, and at the end of the service, I'm there praying. We have a ministry team, but I have a line of people waiting for me, and they're literally like 30 people deep, right? So I'm just praying. And if you guys have ever prayed for more than 10 people, you start getting tired, so it's harder for me to hear from the Lord, and I'm kind of whining as i'm praying, you're not supposed to admit those kind of things to people. It's like, God, please help me here and so we're just going through them and um, i'm get I could tell the lines getting smaller and smaller, well, at this point everyone's left I, I, The only people at the church now are me and the people that want prayer, which is fine. Uh, as we're getting close, this lady comes up to me it's the very last person, and she's uh she's my wife and Isaiah's, and she has her grandson. She's holding her grandson. And I say, what, I asked her, what can I do for you? She says, well, my, my grandson's crippled, and he has fluid in his brains, and um, I'd just like to see if the Lord has something he wants to do for him. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever been put in those positions, but the minute people give you a, they need a miracle, I don't know where you guys look, but I always look inside myself, I don't have a miracle. And then I try to figure out two things. How do I get out of here? Or where's Smith Wigglesworth when you need him? And so I'm, I'm looking at her, and have, have any of you ever started praying with, for someone in unbelief? It's like, I need help. And you're like, well, the Christian thing to do is to pray, but I don't think God's going to do anything in this situation. Do any of you guys pray this way? Okay, three of you admitted to it. All right, good. So I start praying for her. While I'm praying, then I could tell that I didn't believe God was going to do anything because I'm starting my prayer like this. Well, God, would you comfort them and help them? And then I start talking about nonsense. Yeah, you know, if they get into investing, would you help them invest in soy in the fourth quarter in the Asian market? <laughs> and it's called, it's called praying around the world because you don't, you don't have a sense of God doing anything. So I'm just all over the place. And, and God's presence comes in the midst of that. And God starts speaking to me. He says, Brian, stop praying. <laughs> he said, let me tell you what's going on here. And I'm like, okay. He said, uh, I want you to command the leg to be healed and the fluid to leave the brain. And I said, "I even said, it's that easy? And he said, yes. And so I said, okay, so uh, ma'am, I'm just going to pray for his leg. I just command the leg to be healed and the fluid to leave his brain, right? I get done, and you guys know what happens. The minute you get done praying, you have to see if anything's changed. I said, does, does it look like anything's changed? She kind of wiggles his leg, and it's just as dead as it was. And then I said, can you tell any difference with his uh, cognitive ability? And she's like, no, he's still the same. And I looked at her and I thought, well, isn't that awesome? <laughs> All right, so now we're in that situation. I have to say, well, Thank you for letting me pray. I didn't tell her, you don't have enough faith, or I don't have enough faith. I just was confused, all right? She turns around. Now, this is the last person in the service with me. She turns around, and she starts leaving. As she's leaving, I'm not rejoicing in the Lord or doing any hallelujahs at all. I'm extremely irritated at the whole entire situation. And as she keeps making her way towards the sanctuary door, I'm telling the Lord, I am tired of the healing ministry and producing that, right? So that happens. All right. The next month, I come back. And people do this to me quite a bit. Uh, If you lived in my world, if you don't have a sense of humor on this stuff, you need to develop one. I always laugh at people doing this. They walk up to me and they say, do you remember me? And I'm like, okay, let me think. I remember seeing you. And then they'll relate to some story of some situation I've been in. And I'm like, wow, I really wish I could have remembered that. She goes, well, do you remember me? And I looked at her and I thought, I do, but could you help me? And she said, well, I was the person that brought my grandson to you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember you. <laughs> and, she said, and I thought she was going to say, what is it with you ministers? You, you can't heal people and you stink at this. Stuff. I thought she was just going to lay into me. And she just said, well, I have a story for you, and I don't understand it, so I need you to clarify it. And I'm like, okay. She said, you prayed for my grandson, and I gave him back to my daughter. And two days later, she, she always has to lay him down on the couch so she can go into the kitchen to actually make lunch. She lays him down on the couch two days later. She's in the kitchen making lunch, and she hears this noise in the background and she turns, and her son runs past her out into the backyard and starts playing. Okay, she says that to me. Immediately, all this unbelief comes gushing out of me. I don't believe it. So she's telling me this, and I tell her, I don't believe it. (laughs) And 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 she goes, well, I know. Let me finish. She goes, why would it take two days for God to actually have done that? And I'm like, I don't know. And I I said, and I'm listening to myself talk to her, and I'm like, am I even saved? I mean, the nonsense that was coming out of my mouth, I just said to her, unless I see him, I won't believe. And I'm like, what was that? It came out of my mouth, and I thought, (laughs) and she just kind of looked at me like, there's something wrong with you. And, and And I almost said, yeah, that's actually true. And so she leaves. All right, the minute she says that to me, the rest of the month, I go through, so we're into a two-month scenario now, I'm going through every form of spiritual warfare I've ever experienced in my life. Did God do it? What if he actually did? Well, what if he didn't? And and am I going to tie my emotions to all this and and up and down and all over the place? And she she told me, I'm going to bring him next month to prove it. So now we're two months into it, I'm back in the meeting again. And this time, uh, r- people are getting ready to come for the training and all this other stuff, and all I'm doing is looking for her to show up, <laughs> right? Where is she? And, and finally, we're about five minutes before we start, I watch her walk through the door. And I, if, if you guys ever been in this situation, I don't even know how to describe it. My heart is beating so hard, it's almost like coming out of my chest I'm looking at her and I'm just watching and here comes her grandson and he's running down towards me and let's see I'm not too old to do this again I'm looking at him and I just I actually hit the ground like this and what starts coming out of my mouth is I don't believe it (laughs) (laughs) isn't that fun now let's go through that process When God spoke it to me, I had assurance. The minute I spoke it and God did what he wanted to do, I went back to being me. And I don't know if you guys ever watch yourself, but I could tell when God gives me assurance over something and when it's me trying to believe God for something. When God is giving me assurance, I have rest and I have confidence that God is going to do that. When I'm trying to talk myself into it, I could tell I'm not functioning in biblical faith. Now, I don't know if you guys saw this in the New Testament, but the disciples, Jesus had to confront them about, where's your faith? And most people think he's saying, do you have biblical faith? But there's two forms of faith that are in the New Testament. There's called mental ascent to truth. That's man's ability to try to create faith as mental ascent to truth. And then there's God speaking, which releases the dynamic of the kingdom and accomplishes what God wants. And most people don't see that distinction, and so they think Jesus is saying, do you even have faith? And that's not what he's asking. He's saying, what realm of faith are you trusting in? Are you trusting your ability to assent to truth, or are you trusting in the voice of the Lord speaking to you to do something? All right, let's keep going on. Oh, thanks. Now, faith is the assurance. I told you that it's a, it's a legal term, this word for assurance, but it creates a rest inside of you. And as I was thinking about it, the Lord was trying to point my attention to this idea, and I already said it. If you focus on the initial encounter of when God spoke, spoke to you in any situation, it's like God creates a sanctuary of peace every time you think about it and you can draw from it to constantly bathe your soul in assurance. Now, this is where James gets into this idea. Don't be double-minded. Why? Because when God speaks, he says, bathe yourself in it. Let it Let the work of assurance bathe you so that your emotions and your soul get into a place of confidence instead of going, Okay, I, I, I can let it bathe me for a moment, but what if he doesn't do it? So the minute I turn over here, I'm bathing my soul with discouragement and unbelief and just all this what we'd call gnarly vomit. And, the, and James is saying, now don't be like that. Don't go back and forth. Learn how this works. When God speaks, build yourself up, and here's what God has said wash yourself with it. Every time you need to be refreshed, take a glass of water and go back to the experience and drink it so that God settles you. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Okay, so this is interesting. The passage right here, things hoped for, which is really fascinating, is it's actually the way they got it in the Greek, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's actually how what hope is that starts this whole journey. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now, the word hope here is interesting. Two, again, two qualities. The Bible is always trying to give contrast, both in the Old and New Testament, that people that do not know the Lord, their hope is vain. Now, what does that mean? that means that their hope is based on fantasy and what's called wishful thinking. And the Bible says that for the unbeliever that does not know the Lord or the voice of the Lord, the things they hope for never happen because they're vain. Now, what does that word vain mean? Well, it literally means has no power to accomplish something. So, you have people trying to tell you things like, we're going to do this, or we have the power to do this. And the Bible's saying that's all kind of vain. That's vain. That kind of thinking is vain because it, it doesn't carry the weight of God's love and power behind it. And God's the only one that can create and accomplish things. All right, so now it's contrasting. Well, what's biblical hope? Well, biblical hope has so many foundations to it, or so many. Uh, uniquenesses to it. It'd take about an hour to get through what is biblical hope, but we'll just kind of dive into it, all right? First thing is this. Let's do a contrast. Let's say that right here is us living in time and space. What hope means that I take a journey with God in my soul over here, and this is called the future and what is going on in heaven right now. Now, biblical hope is you're standing in heaven, not standing, but Your soul is being nurtured by heaven, and as it's being nurtured, you get heaven's perspective on something. You grab it, and you pull it back into time and space so it becomes manifest in your life. So, how do we know what God's perspective is on something? He tells us. So I stand in His presence, and I go, Well, here I am in this situation. What's, your pers- what's going on in heaven right now in regard to this situation? And he'll say, here's what I'm doing. And then we go into the natural, and we cause it to come forth, either by, okay, Lord, by coming into agreement with him, or by speaking it, or God tells us to do some kind of action. But it's hope based on eternity. Now, why is that so important for you and I? Because another thing that assurance does is it causes you to need to get into a reality of time and space. Let me see if I can explain that. So when we say that we want biblical hope, we're actually basing it on a kingdom that cannot be shaken. All right? So there are kingdoms all over the place. You're you're in the you're in the system of the world now. And Jesus pointed to that in Matthew chapter 4 and 5 and 6, and he said, well, you know, if you build on the sand and torrents come or storms, your your house is going to be decimated. So he's saying build on the rock. So he's trying to give a contrast here in his teaching. He's saying, now look, your hope has to be uh, stuck on something that's consistent that will never be shaken. And that's what the kingdom of God is based on, Kingdoms rise and fall, people live and die, but the kingdom of God and the words of God will endure forever. Amen. And the Bible's saying that's the source you want to go to to walk through life because it can't be shaken. It doesn't matter what people say to you, it doesn't matter the circumstances. Once God has given his uh, statement on something, he's going to get you there regardless of what's going on on the planet because his kingdom cannot be shaken. Amen. So, if Faith now is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, the word conviction here is kind of interesting because I I was looking at the translation, and I'm going, okay, so the translators had a hard time doing this because it's the word for hope again. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the hope of things not seen. So that's not the way they wanted to translate it. They wanted to give it a little more power because of this way this word for hope is expressed in the Greek New Testament. So the, the concept of conviction here is a form of hope, but it actually means an active waiting on the Lord. Not just I grab something from eternity and pull it into it. The reality of it is, is here's what's going on in heaven. I grab it into my experience, and now I'm living in time and space, and I'm actively waiting waiting for God to do it, which doesn't mean being passive, but it's called expecting God to do it. All right? That's what it means by conviction. You're, you're so convinced of it, you're just expecting it to be normal. Okay, well, this is part of my life now. Now, how do you know you have biblical faith? Because you start talking about promises that have not been given to you as though you're living in them right now. Uh, And if any of you ever have this experience, I enjoyed the lady's testimony about living in Japan and God, aren't these stories hilarious how God has to get us to do stuff? And as she's telling it, she's given us a perfect illustration of how this actually works. When God tells you something, have you ever noticed that when God says, hey, I want you to do something, you have to act like that's reality regardless if anything else looks like that in your experience? So if you ever get a call, if God says, hey, go to another country or go down the street, you have to actually act like it's real, which it actually is. (laughs) This is the thing about God and his voice and him trying to help us with this process. He's trying to get us to the place where we understand that once he speaks, everything that is not in alignment with that voice is going to be challenged by that voice. And you get to grab onto it and go for the ride. And I don't know if you guys are like I am. I didn't understand the ride for years. I thought if God said something like, hey, I'm going to use you and you're going to go over here and do this. I thought people were just going to stand up and go, isn't that just wonderful? Here, let's throw roses at him and stuff like that and stuff like that. That's not what happens. God's voice comes into a situation. He's got to do a work inside of me and you, and then everything of the kingdom of darkness or the resistance of man that's against that voice, you and God get to walk into that situation and watch the voice of God defeat all the enemies that are standing in the way of the Lord. And if we don't understand that, we get all upset with the process. Why do I have to have so much conflict when God speaks to me? Because there's all kinds of entities, both on the natural and the supernatural realm, that don't want that thing to happen. Right. This is what God was trying to teach the nation of Israel. When I speak stuff, I'm, I, I'm just going to defeat your enemies. They, I, they can bring all the horses they want. They can do all of it. I'm just going to have you guys worship around cities and have fun. And, and I'm just going to do the decimation. And everyone's like, oh, if we could live in those days again. <laughs> well, you actually are. This is why God is trying to settle you. When he speaks into a situation, the assurance is to get you to walk through that process and not let it decimate you or you to give up hope or think, why is everything destructive come when God tells me to do stuff? He's trying to train you. Enjoy it. Why would I enjoy all the chaos? Because at the end of the day, he's going to win. And he's trying to show you you're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, why do you need this assurance in your Christian life? Because outside of Christ, no one has assurance about anything. There are absolute chaos, stress, and anxiety. And God is trying to use the assurance that he gives you as literally a light on a hill so people look at you and go, what is it with you guys that say you walk with God that you're not shaken? And God has given this to us as a gift. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. All right, let's finish this. Things not seen. All right, the original language, it's just saying, every circumstance, you're not, you're not going to see it first until God has convinced you of it in your own heart. All right, I, I told this, I think it was... Um, a while back, but here we go. I love telling some of the stories. They're just so fun. I was in Denver doing some meetings. Um, I'd got done. It was like a Friday night. My wife was in Pueblo. Uh, her, our, my mother-in-law had passed away, and we were trying to liquidate the house and get ready for sale and stuff. And so when I wanted, you know, she's there. I'm not seeing her for months. I'm an aunt traveling, and she's trying to do that. And so I did my meetings in Denver. And you guys all live here in Colorado. You know, it's a two-hour drive, basically, unless you do 90 miles an hour. Uh, (laughs) But I had to drive. It was already 10 o'clock. I had to drive all the way to Pueblo uh, to go be with my wife. And all the furniture in the house was gone. All right, So I slept on the floor that night. And I used my clothes for my pillow, which I thought was one of the more exciting things. And um, there's certain levels of uncomfortableness And as you grow through life, you get to experience them. And so I woke up, and my body was so contorted and in so much pain. And I only got to sleep for four hours. So when the alarm went off, it actually woke me up, and I'm smacking myself trying to wake up as I'm hearing this cricking bone destruction thing going on. And I'm waking myself up, and I'm, Kelly, it's so good to see you. (laughs) And then I'm jumping in the car, and I'm driving back to Denver, right? So I'm getting there. I have to meet these leaders. Now, to give you an idea, why did I have to drive back up? Because um, some pastors in the region wanted me to go over to another part of town and minister to the staff of this congregation. And I asked him before I left on Friday, how many people is that I'm going to be praying for? And they said eight. I get in the car Saturday morning. We're driving there, and I just wanted to be reminded again because I could hardly focus. Now, how many people are I going to pray for? And they just start laughing in the front seat. And I don't like those laughs because I know what those mean. They said to me, well, the pastor's wives have decided they want to come too, and it's gotten out among the staff and all these congregations. So it's really not eight, it's 80. (laughs) (coughs) well, uh, that made me understand why they were going so fast down the road because if they were going 20 miles an hour, I would have popped the door and rolled out and ran for the hills. And so I'm in the car. I'm tired, and I'm like, I feel so sorry for those people. We get to the meeting. They're talking. And just to give you what it's like to be in my world, it's kind of funny sometimes. When I have to go and minister to people, no one talks to me. And it's not because... My breath or I'm unkind or anything, they act like, it might be that, I'm just unaware of it, but they act like if they talk to me, I'll get some information about them, and then it's not valid what I'm sharing with them. So they just leave me, you know, they leave me over in the corner to die while they're visiting with each other, and then it's time for me to do ministry right? And so here's Brian, blah, blah, blah. And I have to stand up, and I'm starting to pray for the first person. And I've got 80 people waiting for me. So I'm in a circle, and I'm starting to pray for the first person. And I'm praying. Uh, this is just powerful prophetic ministry. I'm saying, I think Jesus loves you. Why don't you check and weigh that? And I'm just kind of moving through the group. And and I'm just, uh, I'm, come on, Brian, you got to do this whether you want to or not. And I'm just, you know, 30 or 40 people into it. Finally, I'm in a flow, and I'm kind of doing it. So now I'm getting towards the end. Now, this is how this stuff works. I'm getting towards the end, and I'm praying for a lady. And as God's giving me words to give her, I'm looking at the next person, just acknowledging, well, who's the next person I'm going to pray for? And as I'm looking at her, the Lord says, oh, by the way, I want you to sing a song to her. (laughs) So I'm praying for this person. And I thought, that wasn't the Lord, so I just ignored it. And I, I'm just I'm praying for this person, and they're happy, and they're kind of crying and doing that kind of stuff. And I look over at it again, and the Lord's like, I want you to sing a song to her. And I thought, what? What song? Now, I have all kinds of emotional issues with singing in front of people <laughs> because I've been told that my voice, my singing voice sounds like screeches of demons. And so... <laughs> So as I'm looking at her, I'm, I'm, trying to ta- I'm actually trying to talk God out of this. Come on. And the Lord says, no, here, here's the song. And I start hearing the song in my mind. You're my sunshine, my only sunshine. I'm like, oh, jeez. So I'm looking at her. It's time for me to pray. I don't know who these people are. I'm just praying for them. I get to her, and I said, ma'am, would you mind standing? And so she stands. And I said, Well, the Lord gave me a song I have to sing to you, but I'm not going to sing it to you because I don't want you running for the door. But I'll tell you the words. And she's like, Okay. And I said, You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Don't take my sunshine away. I'm, I'm telling her those words, and she starts screaming ah, and she's getting higher and higher, and it's more intense, and then she just falls on the ground and starts sobbing. She looks like a wounded animal. She's sobbing, ah, ah, ah. I can't even do it. My throat's not even going to help me do it, and she's on and on, and, I, and I'm backing up. Um, if you're ever in these situations, you don't know if that's good or bad. Yeah, I'm just looking at her. I'm like, wow, that doesn't look like fun, and I'm kind of looking at everybody, and they're kind of looking at me like I have a sense I know what I'm doing. (laughs) So I'm just watching this. She's rolling around, sobbing. Finally, a bunch of women get around her, and they're praying for her. You know, that's what charismatics do is white people are sobbing. You lay your hands on them, and they're speaking in tongues and doing their thing. And I'm watching this whole thing. And finally, they can't get control over her. She's just, ah! I mean, it's just all over the place, so they have to pick her up. And they walk out of the room. All right. Well, this kind of does a number on everybody in the room, and so it's announced, like this voice comes from somewhere, well, the meeting's done. (laughs) Okay, now I have to live in my own skin, so they're directing me, go out the door, and so as I'm making my way out the door, I'm thinking thoughts like this, well, that'll be the last time I come here that was terrible. I don't even know what that was. I don't know if that was good or bad. I make it out in the hallway, and they're like, well, we're going to take you to lunch now. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so I look down the hall, and there she is still screaming, and they're they're putting me in a car, and we're driving, and I'm trying to get someone to talk to me about what do you think went on right there, and no one's visiting with me. Isn't this exciting? So we finally get to the restaurant, and a, a person from staff is sitting across from me, and I said, so, who was that person that fell on the ground? Like, they didn't act like it was some big deal. I said, who is that person? They're like, oh, it was the pastor's wife. And I thought, well, there you go. That will be the last time I go there. Or <laughs> well, I said, did she talk or tell you guys anything that's going on? I mean, what was that all about? And they said, well, here's kind of the story. She grew up in a broken home, and her dad never told her he loved her. And her husband, every night before the kids go to bed, goes to each one of their rooms and prays for them. And she was standing outside of their youngest daughter's bedroom, and he went in that night and started singing a song to her. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. And as she's singing that, she says to the Lord, I wish I had a father that would have sung over me. What was God doing in that situation? He was coming with his voice to bring a level of assurance that a daughter needed. That a father really cared for a daughter, and he'd actually make this guy go through all this stuff to get there to sing a song to her. What is God willing to do for you? He's willing to come to any area of your life that you don't have assurance that he's for you or he's going to deliver you, and he's going to stun you with his presence, his voice and his love because he's on a journey to convince you of something. He has an unshakable love for you as a father. Would you guys pray with me now? Father, Father, I just thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. I ask that you would go into any area of our lives where we've had an absence of assurance. Would you meet us there? (sighs) Would your embrace come to us again? And would you settle us? Thank you for your mercy, God. You're so good. Who is like you, Lord? Lord. Who is like you? I just want to bless your name today. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Now receive the blessing of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you rest. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. It's our joy to offer these podcasts. We sure hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, any prayer requests, feel free to drop us a line at Fellowship at iCloud.com. If you're curious about ways you can be more deeply involved in this community, visit our website at EmmausFellowship.org and be sure to like our Facebook page.